The Veterans Health Administration is developing new methods to treat patients by gathering ideas from its own staff. It showcases the ideas on a website called the Diffusion Marketplace. Now the site is open to anyone. For more, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman spoke with a member of VHA's Diffusion of Excellence program, Blaine Fitzgerald. So the Diffusion of Excellence started just back in 2016, and we have kept a relatively consistent mission since then. So we test the replicability and scalability of innovations developed by our very own frontline employees. So just in this last six years alone, and really with the help of our well-known VHA Shark Tank competition, we've replicated almost 80 innovations over a thousand times across the nation. And we even have 10 practices that have diffused nationally across VA. This is maybe a a very basic question here, but I imagine in the healthcare profession that replicability is really a testament to how reliable these innovations are. Reliable the innovations are, reliable as the employees. They're the ones that are sometimes doing this outside of their day-to-day job. And so in addition to a full-time job, they're actually taking on an additional innovation to implement. It's incredible. All right. And before we go any further here, just that Shark Tank competition, tell me a little bit more about that and how that's kind of maybe helped jumpstart this program and and take it to new heights. Sure. So it is an annual competition as part of our VHA innovation experience every October. And so we have hundreds of applications every year for the chance to be a Shark Tank finalist, at the innovation experience and pitch to our quote unquote sharks, which are medical center directors from across the nation to pitch and hopefully bring their innovation to a new facility. What are some examples of innovations that VHA is promoting as part of this program? You are putting me between a rock and a hard place with that question (laughs) because we have Pride and All Who Served, which is a 10-week health education group for LGBTQ plus veterans. But then we also have something like the Surgical Pause, which assesses frailty in preoperative patients in 30 seconds. But then we also have something like Flow 3, which helps deliver prosthetic limbs in less than half the time that we were previously seeing. So I understand that is just a quick snapshot of some of the innovations on the marketplace, but we really serve a wide variety of disciplines and operational departments. This is more of a process question, but what kind of steps does one of these healthcare innovations go through before it's ultimately listed on this online innovation marketplace? So Diffusion Marketplace, it's more commonly known as just the marketplace, is truly a knowledge sharing platform for these innovations across VA. And so we launched back in February 2020 internally, and we are now publicly available by going to marketplace.va.gov as of this past October. But the nomination process is actually pretty rigorous. So we receive nominations from frontline employees, regional leadership, as well as senior program office leaders. And these nominations, every single one of them are reviewed by these regional and program office leaders. We really recognize the value of their expertise and really appreciate the opportunity for this collaboration. So their approval of a nomination is critical in this process. And I know I've personally enjoyed getting to connect with people that are excited to showcase not only their own hard work, but also the hard work of others just to better the care of our veterans. Ultimately, these ideas are really focused on improving a a certain level of care here. So how has this marketplace improved healthcare within the VA system? 
With NVA, I think we can all agree that there is so much knowledge across our healthcare system, but we've sometimes experienced silos in sharing it. So with the marketplace being a single centralized location, VA employees can discover innovations that perhaps answer a question that's been nagging at them day to day, or provide them a safe space to test, replicate, and scale one of their own. I truly believe that the marketplace solidifies VHA as a learning healthcare system. One of the big things that we're talking about here as far as new updates to this marketplace is that this site is now available more broadly to the public. And so to perhaps break those silos down a little bit more, how do you see this resource being available more broadly to the public, having a broader impact on healthcare in this country. It is so exciting, first and foremost. I think it's going to increase the communication between a veteran, their caregiver, and their VA provider. And that is just something that makes me so excited to see. But in addition to that, and and perhaps more at the 10,000 foot view, I think there's an opportunity to connect and collaborate with other federal agencies and healthcare systems. Obviously, there's a pretty clear path and a pretty clear vision on where VHA would like to take this further. And I think that's documented pretty well in this VA diffusion playbook. What are some of the the highlights that you take away from that playbook? And, and how do you see that playbook maybe directing that vision forward? Sure. So the Diffusion of Excellence playbook provides really just the tip of the iceberg of how we identify, replicate, and scale these promising practices. But there are also some fun elements. You get to learn what our secret sauce is and enjoy a shark pun or two as it relates to the VHA Shark Tank competition. Um, We also highlight a lot of our innovations that, you know, some of them we've worked with for many years now. So it's really a, a proud moment for us to showcase their work in that playbook. You know, VHA is hardly an island when it comes to, you know, all of the great work that they do. Help me better understand what kind of partners VHA has in collaborating to develop some of these innovations. I do want to focus first internally and just recognizing that it does take a village, right? So behind every innovation is a community of extremely passionate employees building a business case for an innovation and then also implementing it at a facility. And so I think that's now primed us as we're more external facing. And I think there's so much opportunity to collaborate. And so I think the future is really bright for other federal agencies and healthcare systems to join in on the marketplace. I would actually like to circle back on a point you had made earlier about, you know, in some instances, these are things that VHA employees are tinkering on outside hours, you know, off the clock. Tell me a little bit more about when employees actually get this done and how it speaks to a level of going above and beyond here. Sure. So the care for our veterans, I think, is definitely a 24-7 passion and experience. And so some of these folks definitely need to find the partners in order to build out their innovation. And so that is sometimes happening down the hall, right? On the on the way to the water cooler, if you will. So I definitely think there's a lot happening and it just goes to show how strong we are as a community. You know, in terms of future targets, future goals, anything like that, is there anything that VHA has in mind here in terms of where they'd like to take this program from here on out? 
Yeah, this is the stuff I really get excited about. We launched internally very successfully, you know, check that off the list. We launched now publicly available and that was an amazing accomplishment and check that off the list. So now what, right? <laughs> so I know I mentioned this just a few moments ago, but I think the next major step for the marketplace is to highlight the innovative work happening across other federal agencies and collaborate with other healthcare systems to implement some of these amazing innovations outside of VA. Blaine Fitzgerald, a diffusion specialist with the Diffusion of Excellence program at the Veterans Health Administration. Speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity, and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader? And what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, the first person personally was my mom. Uh, she was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing. The people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she would always manage to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. 
How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated, uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we made our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think a successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly Black women and certainly gay Black women, uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka, so I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so Black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a Black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a single effect of what other people are going to expect as Black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the, expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and often 
oftentimes based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it, it, you were amazing. And it, it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.